Hey, thanks everybody for having me. I never really understand why people bring me in. Uh, because you gotta have you gotta have big guts to bring a guy like me in to talk to your group. So I'd like to give a shout out to Nathan and management for bringing me in. Thank you, buddy. Oh, is that better, gang? But the reason I bring that up is because it does take courage to talk about the topic that we're going to talk about. Um, you know, there's really three of the worst possible topics you can talk about, right? Religion, politics, and money. And we're going to be talking about money today. And people get freaked out when we talk about money. Heck, I used to get freaked out when we talked about money, right? Because nobody wants to talk about money. I mean, think about it. Who in your circle of friends is open for you to tell them how much money you made last year and how much they will tell you they made? And by the way, we all know it's halfway BS, right? You're going to inflate it a little bit, and so are they. So how do we even get truthful? Look, I've spoken at a lot of events. I've been to a lot of events. Even at events like this, we're not really telling the truth about money. We're in the cocktail lounge, and everybody's having a great year, right? Oh, we're killing it. Man, our efforts are incredible. You wouldn't believe my new sales guys. We're having a record year. Nobody knows whether that's true or not. That's the problem when we talk about money. Where do we get truthfulness? And I'm going to challenge us to open up and give a little bit of transparency today. Listen, you're not going to have to be transparent in front of the group. I just want you to be transparent within yourself. Because if you get my message today, you're going to take something special home to your spouses and your children and your parents and your friends and your aunt and uncles. And that, that message is that you're not going to be afraid to talk about money anymore. Because until we start to talk about money, it just is a nasty cycle that time doesn't wait for. And we end up being at the end of our lives hosed. Look, I'm a capitalist. I'm not an author. This book was never inside of me. People say, oh, that book lived in me for years. My whole, I was dying to get it. I didn't care about this book. This book never existed in my mindset. Until 2014, when life was going so good for us. My business doing 100 million bucks a year plus. By the way, I started that business 23 years ago in a dumpy one-bedroom apartment in Dallas, Texas. I didn't have a friend of a friend. I was literally on a folding table with a folding chair, a yellow pages, and a phone. And every day I did this. Making money, not making money. Making money, not making money. Making money, not making money. Until six months down the road, I look out my window, that dumpy apartment, and guess what? The repo man's driving off of my car. Didn't have a friend of a friend in Dallas, Texas. I was down to 40 bucks on my last credit card, a Shell gas card. And I walked to the Shell gas station, and I bought $40 worth of milk and Frosted Flakes, and I walked back to that dumpy apartment, and I said, this is not how it ends for me. This is not who I am. This is not how my life is supposed to turn out, and I'm going to change it. The reason I bring up that story, it doesn't really connect to the book. Well, maybe it does. But I do want to give you hope that you can start from nothing 
and you could be something. Believe in yourselves on that one. I'm telling you, and I know it's a little cliche, but hell, if I can do it, anybody can do it. The business grows. Lots of ups and downs. Nathan and I have talked about it. I'd be happy to, if any, if there's an opening for a Q&A at some point, I'd love to get into that, of the ups and downs, what it's like to actually grow a business from zero to something meaningful. Because by no stretch was it like this, right? Lots of ups and downs. But in 2014, the business was just killing it. I mean, just really rocking and rolling. Our lives were incredible. Married an amazing gal. We had three beautiful boys. My wife's mother moves to Dallas. My mother-in-law, right, should be a nightmare for most people. I'm crazy about my mother-in-law, Gigi. She's the best. I was happy to bring Gigi down. And then my brother-in-law, John, and his wife and his four children moved to town as well. So very quickly, guess what we have? We have our support center. We have our family unit. The kids are playing with each other. The cousins are knowing the cousins, right? And my little wife, my five-foot-two redhead, her name is Rocky, R-O-K-K-I on the birth certificate, (laughs) is so happy. She got her mama. She's got her only brother who she's crazy in love with. She's got me and our three boys and the cousins. And our favorite tradition was Easter Sunday, where Gigi would make this huge spread. We would all come over to her house. The cousins would play. Everybody would have a great time, and we would eat like pigs and enjoy Easter Sunday. That Easter Sunday, my brother-in-law, John, came to the door. We all get up to run to him, and he didn't look very good. And when I went to him to give him a hug, I said, hey, John, how you doing, man? I said, wow, it looks like you lost a little weight. He goes, yeah, maybe five pounds or so. And I'm saying to myself, geez, maybe more like 25 pounds. We sit down to eat. I pig out like usual. My brother-in-law didn't touch the plate. We sit down on the sofa to watch the game. He instantly falls asleep. And within 10 minutes or so, he wakes up. And I'll never forget the look in his eyes, this look of terror. He grabs my arm and he says, I haven't felt worth a shit in months. But I'm going to the doctor tomorrow to get it fixed, get it checked out. And that should have been that. My brother-in-law, John, should have gone to the doctors on Monday, got a shot and gone back to work on Tuesday. It didn't go like that. John, at 46 years old, husband, father to four, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And he was immediately sent to the emergency room. And our lives on that day changed just like that, instantaneously. I want to ask you all a question. Raise your hand if you've had a similar situation in your life. It's devastating, isn't it? devastating. Just take a second and think about those people, right? The ones you raised your hands for. Because the reason we need more money is for one reason only. It's not to buy Lambos and buy jets and fancy vacations. It's to be the person in that situation that is more prepared than the other person. Because the odds are that person that you raised your hands for 
was not financially prepared for that devastation. And can you imagine the power that you could be in to be able to start stroking those checks, to do the best you possibly can to remove that pain, that terror, that fear? You see, the reality is my brother-in-law, John, as much as we all loved him, he had no life insurance, no health insurance, and $100 in the bank. He was 46 years old. Those checks that my wife and I wrote for that one year was the greatest gift I've ever been given. You want to be in that position. All the hard work you're doing, all the hard work that I have done is not for nothing. It's to be in the position that when you're called upon to be that person in the family, the one that maybe has a few bucks, to start stroking those checks, to do your best to make that guilt go away. Because when I looked at my brother-in-law, John, there was guilt in his eyes until I said to him, you don't have to worry about money. I got it. You want to be in a position to say that to that loved one. I end up writing a little story about it. And oddly enough, that story gets seen by an agent, a book agent. Same book agent who reps Tony Robbins and Joel Olstein and Grant Cardone and Dr. Phil and T.D. Jakes. And they said, hey, we like that story. We think there's a market for that story. Why don't you go ahead and write a book about it? I said, no, I don't, I don't really want to write a book because I already wrote this book. And it was a dog with fleas. Nobody, I give, I've given away thousands of copies of this book versus how many have bought it. There's eight reviews on Amazon on this book. I'm out of the book business, I said. <laughs> they said, well, what if we get you in advance? You know, in the old days, I would have said, yeah, I'll take that advance. Sure. I would have negotiated real hard on that advance, too. But I said, sure, I'll take that advance because I'll give it to my brother-in-law's family. And I wrote the book. And it got bought by Penguin, the major publisher in New York. And it came out in April of this year. And that's the reason I'm here, is to help share this story that lives in this book. The problem with that story and why I say I'm always surprised when people bring me here to an event is because... I don't know how to sugarcoat the message. There's only two directions my book goes. The first part is called the wake-up call. The second part is the roadmap. And in order to get to the roadmap, I have to take you through the wake-up call. And it's a little bit of a nasty road, y'all. The numbers don't look very good. (coughs) When I graduated college in 1991, to be in the top 1% of earners in America, you needed to earn $100,000. For the person who gets this answer right, I'll give you a copy of my first book, The Grit. (laughs) Today, to be in the top 1% of earners, just shout out the number that you think is accurate. How much money do you think you need to make per year to be in the top 1% of earners today? Hold on, hold on. Sorry, I know I said shout it out, but I need to hear it. Did someone just say 400 million? No, I said 1 million. 400,000? Okay? Okay? We haven't heard it yet. We're close. We have a few that are close. 
Okay, just stay with me for a sec. Who said 400000 The number is $384,000. So, sir, congratulations. Come on up and get a copy of your book. You and four other people have this. But really, it's a good book. Okay, you'll be my ninth review. Thank you. Here's why I have to bring up the data point. Did you see how various the numbers were? Just in this group alone, look, we're business people, for goodness sake, right? We're fighting a good fight, man. We're salespeople. We're grinders. And the range went, I'm not even sure. I thought I heard 10 million over here, I thought. And then I heard a million, 100,000 over here. Does anyone see this range? Come on, we're supposed to be 60 or 70 pretty business-savvy, smart people. It goes to show you, ain't nobody focused on our money. Nobody knows what real money is anymore. And as I wrote the book, I began to say, oh my gosh, like, this wasn't my brother-in-law's problem. This is an epidemic. He wasn't alone. Like, I thought he was kind of isolated in it. By the way, his life was financially was chicken and feathers, right? One month it was chicken, the next month it was feathers. The next job was always supposed to be the home run, right? We're going to talk about that in a minute. How do you even know when you're in the right platform or the right job? But what you just saw there was this huge range. No one even really knows what the hell we're going for. So when I wrote the book, I began to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give real numbers. I'm going to begin to throw out real data points that people can chase, real milestones that I believe are meaningful. So I'm going to give you a couple of those this morning. The first is what I believe is the real requirement of income. Now, you can look at it from an employee standpoint. You can look at it from a business owner standpoint. It's entirely up to you because neither of them change. It doesn't matter. Here's how it works. This is not in the book. The publisher required me to take this out. They said it would alienate too many Americans if I stated this in the book. Okay? That's what happens when you self-publish, sir. I can write whatever the heck I want. When Penguin buys the rights, I have to listen to Penguin. Okay? That's the slight difference. And by the way, if I wasn't giving the money to my brother, I would have told him to go pound sand anyway, right? Here's the number. Life begins at 150 grand a year. Life gets better at 250. Life gets real good at 500. That's the way it plays out. So that's why I think it's always unusual when people bring me in to speak. Because, heck, the publisher wouldn't let me put it in a book, but yet you guys let me say it at your event. Life begins at 150. Life gets better at 250. Life gets real good at 500. Those are the numbers that I believe people should be shooting for. Those are the initial milestones. Look, if you're making 50, 100 seems like a lot of money. And it is if you're making 50 and it's 100. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't add any credence to the fact of whether 100 is a lot. It's just a lot in comparison to 50, but the money is moved. I showed it to you. The 1% in 1991 is now, the $100,000 for the 1% in 1991 is now $384,000. The money is moved. Just look at the cost of housing or the cost of cars or the cost of health insurance, or the cost of food. The money's moved, but guess what we're doing? We are still chasing these old numbers. Somehow $100,000 is still a lot of money. It ain't. Wake up to the fact that it's not a lot of money. It's not. Now, when you start to change your mind like that, then you say 150, 250, 500, and you go home, and you tell your spouse that, who wasn't at this event, he or she's going to be like, 
where, where did you go? Right? <laughs> or like my little rocker, you know what the rocker says? Yeah, I like the sound of that. Keep going. Why stop at 500, she says. <laughs> I think that's the kind of spouse you want, by the way. For people like us who are hustlers, look, we go where the hustle is, right? I mean, let's be straight about it. We go where the hustle is. You wouldn't be in this industry if you didn't love the hustle. We go where the hustle is. And that hustle can be tough sometimes. You know what we need? We need somebody saying, get back out there. Get back out there. I like what you're doing, honey. Keep going. It's really important to work on that. My brother-in-law died almost one year to the day. I can't believe I still get a little emotional about it. But I hope it puts an exclamation point on how unbelievably difficult it was for our family. And how difficult it was for my rocker because she was so crazy about him. I mean, that chicken and feathers never mattered to her because I think she was feeding him on the side anyway. You know what I'm saying? And I knew it and I didn't care. But what's funny is you guys, earlier, you're talking, Craig's talking about the importance of what are we doing here? and Why does it matter? Well, I just found a little bit of a new purpose in my life. Like, look, I'm an equipment finance guy, right? We finance trucks and, and big rigs and bulldozers for Bubba the Trucker. And yeah, it's provided a great living, and I've helped a lot of people in my office. I've helped a lot of clients grow and increase their prosperity. But the reality is... This silly little book is kind of what my purpose has been for the last six months. And what is incredible is how when you begin to push that type of energy out, how you begin to hear the energy back, right? And the message I'm trying to get across to you before we transition into the roadmap is start pushing out a different message about your money. Because sooner or later, you will have to make a decision. You may make it at 26 or 36 or 46 or 86, but you must make a decision about your money. You will either have won with your money situation or you will have lost. Period. Everyone in this room will have to face this question. Did I win or did I lose? You win when you can do whatever the heck you want. When your dreams that you mention to your spouse and to your children are able to come through because you can afford to do it. Or you have to live with that horrible guilt of, I should have tried harder. I, I know I told you Tuscany in the summer, baby. I know I told you that we'd be able to go see the grandkids whenever we wanted. We wouldn't miss a birthday of our grandchildren except I didn't make enough money and I didn't put enough attention on it and now we can't. In the last 30 days, my wife lost her best friend to pancreatic cancer and last Thursday, two days ago, I lost my best friend to liver cancer. In the first situation, my wife got to spend endless time with her best friend. 
as much time as she needed. No money worries of any kind whatsoever. Go, be with her. Talk to her. Tell her what you need to tell her. Let her tell it to you back. Financial freedom. In my buddy's side of things, he died in two months. I was with him six different occasions over the last two months. I never called my office. I never worried about the expense of the flights or the hotels. I was able to be with him to be able to tell him how much I cared about him. And I didn't worry for a second about the money. The first situation with my wife's best friend, they didn't have any money. They didn't take care of themselves. So we took care of that stuff. We took care of the funeral. We took care of everything. In fact, the guy at the funeral home comes up to me, and I don't know. I mean, i got to give him credit. If this is a line of bullshit, I give him a lot of credit for this one. But he taps me on the shoulder. He says, are you the person who paid for this funeral? And I said, uh, well, my wife and I did. He said, I've worked here for 30 years. I've never seen a gift like that. It was carte blanche. Whatever they wanted. The most expensive casket. No expense spared. Whatever you want. We got it. My other buddy in California who just passed, he's got scratch. So I don't have to take that burden off. In fact, the sad part about my buddy's death, he died on Thursday, is that he has so many opportunities. He's got 10 grand over here with this guy and 50 grand over here in this deal, and he's got money over here. And if he had another decade, that stuff would be really, really well off. Okay. I'm sorry about that. I, I normally don't transition like that, but we have these two scenarios, so I, it's just heavy on my mind that... Those two things have occurred in such a short period of time. It's been an unbelievable summer, which once again puts the exclamation point on why I wrote this book, man. My job now is to help people to wake up to realize that we're not taking our money seriously enough. You know. Okay, roadmap. How do we get out? How do we start to make changes? The first thing we have to do, we're going to do a group exercise here, but it will be individual, but the group is going to do it. So please take a pen and a piece of paper out. The first thing you have to do, uh, you don't have to take notes on this. It's the next piece that we're going to take notes on. The first thing you have to do, though, is really begin to figure out where the heck you are. Most of us will spend more time planning our vacations than we will planning our financial situation for the rest of our lives. Okay? We must plan. Let me give you a couple data points. The average Social Security benefit in America is anyone? $1,366. Are you on Social Security, sir? I don't draw. $1,366. Put 12, multiply that for 12 months is anybody? About 16 Gs a year. You ain't going to Tuscany. You ain't driving in the RV. Hell, the grandkids are paying for you to come and visit them on Social Security. It don't work. I know that. My mother is on Social Security. That's all she lives on. And my mother-in-law is all she lives on. Who do you think pays the difference between the 40 grand actual cost of living and the 16 Gs on Social Security? Yeah, that's right. Okay? Who else in this, in this room is doing that too? Who else is fueling your parents because they were short? Of course. For those young ones in here, it's coming your way too if we don't get it back together, if we don't get it figured out. 
The average family in retirement has $59,000 in retirement at age 65. So you got 59 G's you got to live on and you have 1366 bucks. It ain't much. You got to know where you are. It starts with a budget. Call it the B word if you want. But you need to know how much do I have coming in after tax? In the book I run through a quick example on 100 grand a year. It leaves about $430 left over per month, okay? You need to know where you are. You need to run your budget. Here's the exercise that we're going to do. I want you to write down 1x in, a, in this way from top to bottom. 1x, 3x, 5x, 10x. And then next to that, I want you to write your age. And here is what I call in the book the litmus test. I have tested this formula on hundreds of people, both wealthy and not so wealthy, and this formula works. If you are in your 20s, from age 20 to age 30, you should have the 1x. One times your annual income as your net worth. If you are in your 30s, 30 to 39, you should have the 3x. Three times your annual income as your net worth. And typically when I do this exercise, people are like, oh man, I got that. I'm all right in that regard, you know? Well, here's where it gets really dangerous. In your 40s, you should have five times your annual income as your net worth. And in your 50s, you should have 10 times your annual income as your net worth. Net worth defined as assets minus liabilities equals net worth. What you own minus what you owe equals your net worth. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand, but I can tell you exactly what just happened. That was an oh shit moment for a lot of people. <laughs> and some people just said, oh man, I feel pretty good. Some people in here just got actually a nice shot of confidence that said you're actually doing pretty well. Unfortunately, most people probably said, oh my gosh, now what? And I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to give you some what I call ups as we get ready to close here. I'm going to give you some ups, some things that you need to start to do, the roadmap that is going to start to fix your money situation. The first thing you have to do is platform up. What the heck does that mean? I call it a platform. Some people might call it an industry. Some people might call it a space. Some people might call it a career path. I call it a platform. You must be in the right platform to make money. You will never fix your money platform, your money situation if you are in the wrong platform. The guy who works at Subway Sandwiches who's dreaming of a Lambo is an example of the wrong platform, okay? It don't work. Now, if he wants to buy 40 of them, I'm down with that, Right? You must be in the right platform. How do you know if you're in the right platform? I want to know who within that platform is living the way I want to live. And what I know about this group, and particularly about Nathan, is you've got examples all over the place of people who are making bank and in the right platform. That should give you trust that you're in the right platform. One of the worst platforms, who knows anything about the car business? Right? The car business is one of the worst platforms. By the way, this is a business my brother-in-law came from. That's why I hate it so much. You know, the new dealership has got a different gig than the old dealership. No, it don't. 
It's just got the manager who didn't make the other dealership work now at the new one telling lies at the new place that nobody's figured out yet. Okay? Look, you need to be in the right platform. And the only way you know you're in the right platform is if someone in that platform is earning the income that you want to earn. So that you can skill up. The top 1% of any industry is a great place to live. Experts get paid, amateurs get crushed. You have to learn to be incredible at what it is that you do. Look, the key to your business is multiple facets. There's a delivery, there's an installation, but mostly it's a sales piece. Without the sales and marketing, the rest of it doesn't need to happen. Your team has to be incredible at selling. Who are you watching? Who are you reading? Who are you listening to? As leaders of your business, ask your people that question. And if they tell you sports talk radio and then they got to get to your office and go knock on doors, it doesn't set up for a good day, y'all. They need to be immersed in expertise by skilling up. The third up, network up. We hear Craig talk about it. It was an amazing story. Mike, I believe, Mike? Mike references that they start a competing business. 13 years later, Craig stays in touch with the whole time, and then they come back together. That's network up. Who's in your circle? Who is in your room? Who can you call? Who is in your Rolodex for the older folks, right? My man, you know what a Rolodex is? You do? Get out of here. You're 41? Does anyone believe this guy's 41 years old? Dude, you're lying on the wrong side, man. I lie on the other side. You lie on that side. The next thing you got to do is you got to earn up. You got to pick your number, and you have to do whatever the heck it takes to earn it. The problem is most of us take a compensation plan that's sort of handed to us by somebody else. You need to reverse it. You have to figure out what your value is and what you're willing to do to go get it, and then you have to put yourself in an environment to go earn it. I am not a millionaire next door guy. I am not a save my $2 Starbucks per day in a 6% mutual fund and eventually I'll have 80 bucks. Dude, you earn your way out of your financial problem. You don't save your way out of your financial problem. You earn your way out of your financial shortfall. You must earn more money. But to just say I need more money isn't good enough. You need to follow these ups. The last up for today is you have to reserve up. Now, some people might call it a savings account. I don't. I call it my reserve account. I've used it in my business and my personal life for the last 15 plus years, and it has saved my butt so many times. You have to take a portion of your income from the top before anybody gets paid, and you have to put it into your reserve account. Notice I didn't say savings account. They're very different. Let me explain differences. A savings account is typically at the same bank that you have your other account. In the book, I call it the operating account. The operating account is where your bills get paid out of, right? And most people have their savings account in the same bank. Well, that's not a good thing. Because here's what happens. I'm a little short in that operating account, right? 
What do I do? I just swipe over a few bucks. Well, that ain't a reserve account. A reserve account, and my reserve account, is in uh, Texas, where I live. It is at a two-branch bank that is open Monday through Friday from 9 to 5, closed on Saturdays. I have no checking account connected to it. I have no debit card connected to it. I have no credit card connected to it. Why? It's a bitch to get my money. I want it to be difficult to attack my reserve account. By the way, the rocker's name ain't on it either because the rocker get to it real quick. Right? But I know the rocker. She got her own reserve account that I don't know about, all right? She knows about mine. I don't know about her. I guarantee that. I love her for it anyway, though, man. So the reserve account is vital. Why do you need the reserve account? Because I'm going to give you two more milestones, and we're going to close. You've got to define when you're out of broke. Because if you don't, you end up living in what I call false positive, which is when you think you're doing better than you really are. It's when the bills don't come on pink slips anymore. It's when you can buy that Prada for the rocker, right? It's when you can take the kids to Disney World and drop 12 or 15, and you still don't come back and get an eviction notice. See, the problem with that is most people live in that range. It's called false positive. It's just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it or that you are in financial situation to do it. In the book, I give some milestones. The first is 50 grand. If you don't have 50 grand liquid cash, you're broke. That might be harsh. I just believe it to be true. So anything under 50 G's liquid cash, you are broke. Don't look at broke the way you look at broke. Hell, you know how many times I've been broke? Broke, broke. 40 bucks on a Shell gas card broke. Repo car, man. Doesn't mean I felt broke. Never in my life have I felt like a loser. Never in my business, no matter how many ups and downs I've had, did I ever feel like a failure. It was just a short-term blip on the radar screen. That's what broke is. Broke isn't who you are. Hell, rich ain't who you are either. Please tell me we can agree on that, right? That just because somebody's got money doesn't mean they're good people. Don't let money define you like that. Just use it as a milestone. 50 G's get you out of broke. You need the reserve account to be funded to $100,000. Might seem like a pipe dream to some of you. Some of you might be like, hey, man, that feels pretty good. Let me tell you why. Because when you follow those up steps and you get to that network up step and you start to meet higher revolving energy type people, deals will start to come across your desk. Investment deals, real estate deals, maybe even stock tips, maybe private equity deals, maybe a startup investment deal, maybe a deal where you can buy a lot of inventory on the cheap because the other guy doesn't have it right now. You know what you need? A reserve account. And my experience is those deals require about 100 Gs to get into. And let me explain why. Because the, one, the people that have those deals, the people that control those deals, they don't want to jack with people for 10 grand. They don't want 100 people in a deal at 10 Gs when they can get 10 people in a deal at 100. Right? It's less phone calls. It's less aggravation. It's less reporting. 
My experience is 100 grand is where it starts. Now, those might sound like big numbers, 50 Gs and 100 grand. But listen, in the big scheme of things, guys, the money's moved. We need millions. We've got to put ourselves on that path. Here's one way how you can hedge your brokenness real quick, which my brother-in-law didn't do. And for some reason, I didn't have the transparency to talk to him about it. I wasn't afraid about it. I just didn't know, really, to talk to him about it. You can always hedge your brokenness and remove some of that guilt that you have through insurance. You can go out today, and for about 50 bucks a month, you can buy a term life insurance policy, 20 or 30 year term. You probably get about 100 grand worth of coverage for 50 bucks a month. If my brother-in-law had spent 50 G's on, I mean, $50 a month to get a $100,000 insurance policy, it would have changed everything. So as a takeaway, when you go back to your spouse, the first thing you should say to him or her is, we're buying some more insurance. Buy as much of it as you can afford. I have no connection. I make not a nickel off insurance. Figure out the best insurance program you can buy and buy as much of it as you can afford as soon as you get back. And you listen to me carefully. Please listen to me. You will feel so much relief. Because that relief of not having that protection is guilt. It's sleepless nights. It's worry. It's tightness. It's stress. Just go fix it. A hundred bucks a month. You could probably get a $250,000 term life insurance policy. Guess what? Checkbox fixed. If I die tomorrow, my wife gets $250,000 or my husband gets $250,000. My kids are pretty well secure. Maybe it pays the house off. And I didn't fail. Okay? Look, I'm a capitalist. I'm not a humanitarian. But somehow, we're able to turn that story of my brother-in-law into this book that everybody gets a copy of, by the way. I'm happy to sign, too, during lunch. Um, And now, every day, Every single day, somebody researches me and finds my email address, and they send me an email that says, thank you for writing this book. It changed my mindset. It opened up my eyes. It kept me from lying to my spouse, because I talk about a detailed story of that in this book. I bought insurance that I didn't know I needed, and we all feel so much better because of it. It opened up me to be the leader of my finances and my family every day. And, you know, as a capitalist and a guy who didn't even care to write this book, when I first started getting them, you know what I did? Like, skim them. Right? Let me get back to my business. And now, you know what I do? I print every single one of them. And I put them in this folder Because when I go, my kids will be able to see real-life examples of people that this little book that I never wanted to write in the first place, never even thought of, has helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I would love to ask you to do the same thing. If you read this book and it matters to you, if it helps you, send me that doggone email. I want to print it. I want to read it. I want to print it. I want to put it in a folder. And hopefully if I get another 30 or 40 years down the road, I want my kids to find that folder. And I want them to read your name in it, that this book helped you. That would be 
an amazing gift. So thank you all very much. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.